have your Bibles, turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. You ever say something out of frustration only to realize that it was a bit over the top or harsh? I think we've all been there, right? What about wondering if it's really worth serving God? Have you ever been there? I mean, what's the point, right? It seems like the more I do for God and commit to serving God, the more heartache I seem to go through. What's tough in those moments is that we never really understand what we are actually saying to God when we are willing to forsake all that he has called us to. And if you've walked with God any period of time, you and I have had ebbs and flows to our Christian walk. Days that we were very passionate about serving him and days that we felt like just giving right up. As we continue moving through the book of Malachi, we see a very common frustration the people of Israel have that is shared by many Christians today. It's found in the phrase, it's just not worth it serving God. The nation has just been rebuked for robbing God in their tithes and offerings, and God simply responds by telling them to do what they're supposed to. Don't do the extra, just do what is expected. God continues in connecting their attitude toward tithes and offerings by connecting it to their service to him. The two are connected, by the way. In Malachi 3, 13 through 15, we read the following. This is God speaking. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we should be called the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Your words have been harsh against me. That's quite a statement from God. The idea here is that you are a hardened, arrogant people in your presumption. In fact, the connection can be found in Pharaoh, who had a hardened heart that was callous to the things of God and wanting to ultimately prevail against God. In Exodus 5, verses 1 through 2, we read the following. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. You see, Pharaoh responds with disrespect towards God that he refuses to give honor to personally. The tragedy is many of those who claim to be the people of God have now been found in the same state. Those that were rescued, the people of Israel that were rescued from Egypt are now treating God no better than Pharaoh did. That he is not a God worthy of serving. 
The Septuagint translates chazak in this passage with the verb baruna, which means to burden, to weigh down, to grieve, to oppress, to weary. The picture is of their arrogant words as words that were grievous to God. They were complaining without realizing they were complaining. Ever been there? You ever complained and didn't really realize you were complaining? Made a bunch of statements, totally missed the fact that you are now a complainer. We've all been there. As one commentator points out, again, the people were reacting to unfavorable circumstances, not by questioning what was wrong with themselves, but by complaining against God. They should rather heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Isn't that the way that it works with us? Instead of actually putting the blame where it belongs, we blame God for our circumstances that we ourselves got into. We don't even realize that repentance is the only remedy. There's no other option on the table that will help that circumstance. Have you ever tried to run away from circumstances in your life only to realize that you can't outrun yourself? You can't run away from what you know is still something you need to be responsible for? Repentance is the only remedy. The nation questions once more, what is it that we've really said that's so harsh, God? The amount of disrespect and flat-out denial of reality is stunning for the reader of this text. Until you and I pause and realize how often we do the very same thing in self-deception. In denial of sin that's in our own lives. You see, in verse 14, we hear what it was that was harsh before God. And ask yourself the question, maybe they weren't the only ones that have made these kind of statements. You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? I mean, what's the use? It doesn't pay well. There's a certain level of disdain and self-empowerment that people get to when they look at serving God as optional. I get to pick and choose when I want to because God isn't that important. These people were God's possession, but they acted like he didn't deserve their worship. Believe or ask, is that you and me? You see, Deuteronomy 7, 6 says this, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. They were special people because God determined that they were special people. They had nothing in and of themselves to boast of. You see, King Solomon understood that it wasn't about the nation of Israel but about the God who called his people. In 1 Kings 8, 41 through 43, we read this. 
Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your namesake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, hear in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel." And that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Remember, this very same temple that Solomon was building was one day destroyed. Because the people had rebelled. The children of Israel were called by God for his glory and his name. They were chosen by him for him. They will always have a special place in the heart of God, no matter how rebellious they are. To cast them away as forgotten of God is to neglect clear teaching of Scripture. You and I can disagree with people in government and their wickedness. And I, and I mind you, I'm, I'm very clear about this. There are things I don't agree with government officials on. In America and in Israel, by the way. While at the same time, it's important to recognize the status of the nation of Israel and how it holds a place in God's heart. Just like God still cared for his people when they had wicked kings, he still cares for them now. And it's important to be more precise in our distinctions instead of throwing out the baby with the bathwater, like so many do today in this debate over Israel. They were to be a light to the nations. And unfortunately, they failed when Messiah came along. They failed to recognize him as their Messiah. But God's promises are not void because they failed. We are now partakers in this promise of Messiah because God had us in mind even from the beginning. But we're no better than them. Jesus is the one who's worthy of worship, who's worthy of honor. He's the one who calls us his own. The question becomes this, child of God. How's your service to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Is he worthy? Or are we lying to ourselves and others about how much he means to you and me? We sing songs, right? You are my all in all. Right? We sing that. Is that true? You see, the response here by the nation of Israel was that it was useless, even worthless, to serve God. didn't really pay all that well. The heartache that came along with serving God was not worth it to them. What's even more stunning is that mourning was seen as a sign of weakness with them. It's actually seen as a sign of weakness in the church today as well. Where prosperity preaching has overtaken a lot of churches, even people that think they don't believe it do believe it. 
They see the woman or man that's breaking down over sin in their life, and they say, wow, man, that person's far from God. I'm much better because I don't have to cry like they do. All the while not realizing their own destitute situation. They were starting to believe the lie that so many believe today in the church. The ones that have it all and are proud to show it off are the ones that are truly blessed by God. That's hogwash. It's not true. We read the verse, so now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. They thought that since the boastful got away with it for so long that they must have been blessed by God. Because the consequences hadn't come yet. The real blessing was in doing what God had said. He was going to pour out blessings they never dreamed of if you look at the verses we had just read last week. If you do what you're supposed to, the blessings God will pour out are much greater than you can imagine. And not all of it is money. Everybody thinks blessings equal money. Those are not synonymous in the Bible. It's only part of God's blessing many times. God promises the nation of Israel with many other things if they obey his voice. He promises to bless their crops. He promises to bless their children. Believer, don't assume that because someone has it good now that it automatically means that they've been walking faithfully with God. Or that they're even blessed. Just because the consequences haven't kicked in yet doesn't mean there won't be judgment coming. In fact, if you read the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, you get the impression that the rich man had it pretty easy in life. It wasn't until eternity that he realized that that didn't matter then. Don't assume the opposite either, though. That in someone's heartache and mourning, they must be committing some grievous sin, and they are now in rebellion against God. Remember verses like God is near to the broken when you start assuming that. Having a snapshot of a person's life doesn't always tell the whole story. Here's what's hard for so many of us. We have a certain snapshot that we see certain people in. This one moment that they outburst in anger and we've literally almost like captured that moment and defined that person by that one moment in their life. We've always seen that person as angry all the time, even though that happened one time and we couldn't believe it did. We've seen another person do something wonderful one time and we've captured that in our minds and assumed that is always true about them. There's more to the whole story, brothers and sisters. Because the truth is, you and I can pick and choose what we like in each other's lives, but God sees the whole thing. He sees the end from the beginning. Which is why we ought to be careful in assuming the best or worst about others and be careful in our own self-deception. 
Because the truth is, you and I give ourselves passes for things we are hard on others for. Don't think it's not a big deal to serve God and wonder why things haven't gotten all that bad for a while. Well, I'm not serving God, but nothing seems to be going wrong. I don't think it's a big deal. Realize God's long-suffering is always calling us back to repentance to walk by his side. One night at a Dwight L. Moody evangelistic meeting in Brockton, Massachusetts, a young man stood up to testify about his confidence of salvation. He said, I'm not quite sure, meaning that he wasn't really certain that God would save him from his sins. And then he continued, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey meaning that he planned to trust God for his salvation and to do what he could to obey God's will. I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. Daniel Towner was the song leader for that meeting. He was so impressed by the young man's testimony that he wrote down those words and stuck them in his pocket. Later, he wrote a friend, John Samus. In his letter, he told about the young man's testimony and included the young man's words, I am not quite sure, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. Samish quickly transformed those words into a hymn chorus. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Soon he had five stanzas, stanzas to go with the chorus, and he sent them to Towner, who composed the tune that we still sing today. So that's the question for you and me. Are we doing that? Do you and I trust and obey? What's encouraging about this text is the next few verses that we read. Some of those people that heard what God had said turned in repentance, acted on the rebuke of God with repentance. Malachi 3, 16 through 18, we read the following. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. What an encouragement here. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. What's implied here is repentance or a turning back to God. Constable points out in his commentary, upon hearing the Lord's rebuke through his prophet, some of Malachi's hearers who genuinely feared the Lord got together. Evidently, they discussed Malachi's message and agreed among themselves that they needed to repent. They even wrote down their commitment on a scroll. These people essentially signed a covenant stating that they would be faithful to their God. Oh, if the church would take to heart what these people did.
Instead of looking to blame everybody else, instead gathering together and saying, look, we've done wrong here, God. Let's commit to you. One of the worst things that the church does is attack each other when they should be uniting in what God says. Areas that we need to repent of, we need to own, all of us personally. But areas that we need to repent of and own means that we also have other brothers and sisters that we bind together with in seeing what God says and acting on it. This isn't a solo project. This isn't you figure out what your thing is, you figure out what your thing is, and you know, hopefully God will work with all of us. The whole point, even back then and today, is it's congregational. You're to bring others in with you in your commitment to God. This should be a no-brainer for many a follower of Christ. But we don't have any conviction to lead, never mind follow, in these areas. Whenever somebody calls the church to repentance, many are offended. Many are like, are you kidding me? Don't you know what I do for God? Don't you know who I am? How long I've been in the church? Don't you know all the things I've done over the years? The question is not what you've done for God. The question is, where are you now? What's this last week been like? What's this last year been like, believer? Because I dare say some of us, we burn out in our flame for God. We are red hot sometimes, and we are completely put out. There's not even a flickering flame. There's always been those that fear the Lord and those that are just pretending, just like we see here in the nation of Israel. Believer, there are things that you and I need to be reminded of when we want to give up in serving God. We're going to mention three things today. When you and I want to give up in serving God and following Him, remember these three things. Number one, remember that God is worth pursuing with all your being. God is worth pursuing with all our being. In Revelation 4, 9 through 11, it says this, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The God who made everything is worth pursuing. The God who made everything is worth serving. Believer, you and I don't need to be concerned what others think. Our performance is not for them. You and I are to do it for the audience of one, and that is God himself. So number one, God is worth pursuing with all our being. Number two, community will shape your view of God. Let me repeat that again. Community will shape your view of God. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 we're all familiar with this. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, 
not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Notice even in this text that we are familiar with in Hebrews, that you have those that gather and those that don't. The call to stir up love and good works happens in a healthy congregational setting. Those that are about biblical fellowship will stir your heart to serve God and do even more for Him. In fact, most of us that don't find uh, fellowship valuable will get caught in this one trap. It's about me. The goal of fellowship is not for you and I to feel better about ourselves. The goal of fellowship is how do we align with God and the things of God to serve Him in a community context. Notice what's said there. To stir up love and good works. You know why? It doesn't happen naturally. You and I don't serve if people don't push us sometimes. You and I don't love as we ought to if some brother or sister doesn't come along and say, you know what, you're really not being the way God wants you to be. Brother or sister, you've got you to repent in this area. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but you're not serving God the way you ought to right now. And the right response should be, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Forgive me. The one that we hear many times, how dare you? Look at yourself. Look at all the flaws you have. What right do you have to tell me I'm wrong? None of this is in context of what Scripture is calling us to. Believer, if you don't think community shapes your view of God, then you are deceived. Which is one of the reasons why the community of the church is very different from the community of the world. And whichever one you hang out with more will determine your view of God. Number three, this one I think is the most important when you and I are going through really tough areas in our lives. Number three, always look beyond the circumstance. Always look beyond the circumstance. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, too many times we are caught in the moment and we don't see beyond that situation. We don't look ahead to what God has in store for us on the other side. Believer, when things get tough, when you feel like quitting when it comes to serving God, remember one thing. God has certain things that he has in store for you that are reserved. It's got your name on it in glory. And it's not because you deserved it. It's all him. 
Don't look to quitters, believer. Look to those that ran and finished the race well. Who are your heroes in the faith? The brother or sister that quit and you quit too? Or the one that said, you know what, God, you're worth it. I will pursue you with all my being. Believer, it's easy to give up. It takes no effort at all to quit what you've started. So what is God's response to those that made it a point to repent and turn back to him? Look at verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. You see, believer, God will clearly declare those that are his, his remnant, out of the nation of Israel. This is speaking to a future event when Jesus returns to judge the world. The saints in glory share in this privilege of one day being honored by the God of the universe as his special treasure. It's a privilege that will be shared by both Old Testament saints as well as New Testament saints. 1 Peter 2, 8-10 through 10 says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We read the following in Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing, appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And then the Apostle John, as he's seeing kind of the final picture revealed before him in Revelation 21, 2 through 4, says this, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, God will make it clear in that day who are his own. 
his remnants. And those that are imposters pretending to be a part but not serving him will also be revealed for who they are. Clarity will truly come on that day because the truth is the church has a lot of people that are blending in. They're chameleons, changing what is needed to blend right in. These are the words of Jesus who has a warning for all that hear this. Because the truth is, all of us have to face eternity. In John 5, 28 through 30, we read the following, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I know this is not a text that's preached much by many in the seeker-sensitive movement today. But if you're outside of Christ, you ought to fear because God will make that determination very clear one day. In Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, we read the following. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades de delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, there are only two places to go when it's all said and done at the end. The bliss of glory with Christ or eternity in condemnation in a place that ends up the lake of fire. Brothers and sisters, those that are right with God, you and I may still face consequences on this earth. But the ultimate has already been set in stone. You see, the reality is those that were righteous still were judged along those that weren't. If you look at Daniel and his friends, they still had to go to Babylon, didn't they? They still had to face the consequences of a nation that rejected their God. But what really matters at the end is that they will be spared and counted as worthy and God's special possession or treasure. Believer, just because the consequences of wicked people fall on this nation does not mean that you and I don't have something better in store for us by God later on. Don't confuse what's going on all around you with what God is speaking about you and me as his treasure. Because the reality is when Israel had wicked kings, they also had consequences that came on all of them. Even though there was a remnant among them as well. 
Elijah was still a prophet of God who called out King Ahab for what he should have been doing. But he still had similar consequences because the nation was judged during that time. Believer, the trials and troubles of this life will come upon believers and unbelievers. God causes the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust, brothers and sisters. Consequences will befall all of us. But the end result can be quite different. So in closing, I want to ask you and me, is serving God worth it to you? Is serving God worth it to you? Before you claim it is, ask yourself first, are you even serving? Oh yes, serving God is worth it. Okay, where are you serving? It's a good place to start. Uh, If you aren't, you need to start. Ask others to give you insights in areas that you can serve as a follower of Christ. Something as simple as bringing some food for those that are helping out at the church or school is an act of service. Look, if you're not a child of God, then the first place to start is by surrendering to Him. You can't serve a God you don't know. If you're not outside the faith, you need to turn in repentance to Him first. Trust the finished work of Christ and obey Him. That means actually doing what he says in his word. Believer, you ever consider that in light of what God has done for you as his child? That he actually considers you valuable? Now, I get it, right? Like, we, we, we have this kind of like, I don't know, I guess you could say imbalanced view in reform circles. I'm just a wretched man. There's nothing valuable in me. And it's true when we say that. But God also considers us valuable because of him and his glory. Which is what I've said before, right? You and I have to have a balanced view of God and his word. Lest we have a completely inconsistent view of him. You and I are sinners saved by grace. But you and I are also children of God. Think of that privilege, brothers and sisters. If you were considered valuable by God, why would you not want to serve him? Why would you not want to serve a God like that? A God who gave his son on your behalf. Why would you be like, eh, I know. All the things that God did for me, they don't mean much. Really? Is that what we really think? I mean, it breaks my heart as, as a person that tries to be honest with his walk with God that sometimes we're more stirred by things we see in a patriotic movie than we are about what God's done for us. Look at the sacrifice that person made. Look at what Jesus did. What's stopping you and me from being the hands and feet of Jesus? Why give up on service because you don't see fruit instantly? 
I want you to be reminded that Jesus, when he ascended, didn't leave a, behind a megachurch. I don't know if you know that. He didn't have a Joel, Ste- Joel Osteen population congregation. He had about 70 with his disciples being the core group. Serving God should matter because Christ matters. The price paid on our behalf is worth it all. Yet all we do is complain about how hard it is. Believer, I want you, when you consider complaining about all the tasks that God has given you, I want you to pause for a moment and think of all the saints that have gone before you and what God's called them to and shut your mouth. We complain over such small things. Think of what it meant to Paul to serve. Beaten. Imprisoned. Using his rights as a Roman citizen when he could. But at the end, guess what happened? Executed. killed in Rome for his faith. To Paul, serving God was worth it. Ask yourself sincerely, is it worth it to you? And if it is, stop complaining and get to serving. Our God is worth giving our all. Spurgeon in closing says this, A day is coming in which the crown jewels of our great king shall be counted, that it may be seen whether they answer to the inventory which his father gave him. My soul, wilt thou be among the precious things of Jesus? Thou art precious to him if he is precious to thee, and thou shalt be his in that day if he is thine in this day.